Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to The Midpoint with me, Gabby Logan. This week, psychotherapist and best-selling author Julia Samuel is back by popular demand. Last time Julia was on the podcast, we focused on grief and it was really powerful. One of us cried. I'll let you guess which one. But in all seriousness, Julia is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to grief and navigating difficult family relationships, having counselled people for over 30 years. And for those of us who celebrate Christmas, this time of year can be particularly hard if you're grieving a loved one or adjusting to life after a separation. There is also the fundamental truth that we can't choose our family, and so things are not always merry and bright when we get together. For all this and more, I thought it'd be a good idea to hear from Julia again and put some of your questions to her. So a very warm welcome back to Julia. Julia Samuel, welcome back to The Midpoint. Merry Christmas. And I hope that the season is delivering lots of lovely things for you. Are you a Christmas fan, Julia? I'm um, ambivalent about Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. I'm I'm very happy um, to be back with you, Gabby. I have moaned about Christmas when I had children at home and grandchildren for like 30 years. And now I have no children or grandchildren. I'm like, Ah, be careful for what you wish for and moan about because now it's just like me and my old codger husband and my lovely dog who is now the centre of my Christmas and I've already bought him so many outfits, it's ridiculous. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because before we get into our questions from listeners about Christmas and relationships, I think there'll be nine of us on Christmas Day, including a friend and her sons and the two mums, but we haven't got any little ones. My niece and nephew who who are young are not here this year. They were here last year. And my kids, who you know are 18... They are so sad about that. They love having little ones around. And and I said, well, we're in this kind of gap now where you guys are responsible for the next little ones. I, I can't produce any more little ones for you. And it does feel that when you lose those those small people who still believe and still have the magic, yeah, it does change the dynamic, doesn't it? It's like your family really is in the midpoint. <laughs> it's like that, isn't it? <laughs> right, let's get let's get cracking on this. And uh, the first question I think will resonate with a lot of people. And I've got friends, and they're dealing with this this Christmas for the first time as well of recent loss. And uh, this listener says, "What is the best way to navigate grief at Christmas? My sister died in April. It is still so raw." I'm so sorry. And of course, it's so raw. And I mean, grief, you feel it every day of the year. But Christmas, when we have such profound memories, the sights, the sound, the smell, throw us back to every previous Christmas. Mm. So there's this very particular presence of absence. The person who is missing is so present in the in the most kind of agonising way. So I think... What's important is, first of all, to kind of recognise that you are grieving. So, you know, bring your bar to be realistic about what kind of Christmas you're going to have. And talk together as a family about 
how can we remember my sister? What can we do to acknowledge it? Might we have a table where we have a, a candle that we light in the evening and flowers? Shall we say a poem or a prayer? What can we do to kind of acknowledge and represent her absence? And also, what can we do that we can have a good enough Christmas, that we can feel the warmth, we can love each other, we've been grateful for her having been alive and how we are together as a family, so that you hold both. I think often what happens is that people put on this kind of chin-up type face and don't acknowledge the loss. And also, you could spend some time walking and talking or being together and remembering her sister. So the funny stories or time to sit down and look at an album together. I think the other thing that, I mean, it may, this may be too much for some families, is to have a memory box that you put somewhere in the kitchen or the sitting room where people pop in memories of their sister or their aunt or their daughter. And then at a particular time, maybe tea time, you open them all up and you have a cup of tea and mince pies and you read the memories out. So it's it's a kind of curtailed time. So you just have, say, 40 minutes when you do that. And then you do something really comforting afterwards, like watching a Disney movie together under the duvets with a hot chocolate. So that you kind of have the connection to her because you'll be thinking about her all the time anyway. But doing things that overtly bring that memory alive, I think is very helpful. The first Christmas always feels like one that people have to get through you know it's like it's it's there it's, it doesn't matter whether the person died in the january or they died in the november it's the first christmas but actually i think the second christmas is probably no easier because then it's the normalcy of it isn't it this is you know it's now not that kind of landmark moment but it is still going to happen every year so all of that advice you've just given i think you know is relevant especially in fairly recent loss for people yeah i think it is and i think also as time goes on, you can have an expectation that you feel less and there are times that you will feel less. And Christmas probably isn't one of them. Mm. It's, you know, it's complicated. And related to this, the next question is about supporting. And uh, the question is how to support friends who are navigating their first Christmas after losing their son. Because it's one thing being in that nucleus and that immediate family, but the people on the outside who want to help, want to say something, want to do something, but don't quite know what it is that would be best. So I think kind of consciously being aware of that is so helpful rather than running away from it, which I think people tend to do because they just get so frightened and don't say anything. So they're obviously really thoughtful and empathic, so that's on their side. And I think in recognising that your friend, their child has died, and that has a, a, a very particular it is a very particular loss where their future, that they had every expectation and right to believe in, has uh, died with them, that it sort of tore out the rule book of life that you should never bury your own child. So I think really acknowledging that, and often we can turn away from it because it's unbearable to even think about because, of course, it puts us in touch with our own fear of our own family or our own children dying. But really, I think what helps most and I don't know if this would have been true of your parents, Gabby, is you don't need to know anything. All you need to do is ask. Like, I'm really thinking about you. And I can imagine this is the most unbearably painful, difficult time. What can I do? What would be helpful? Would it be helpful for me 
to come and do something practical, like take the children or bring a meal or take you somewhere? Mm. Do you want to come and come for a walk with me and talk about your son? Kind of be creative and collaborative because you can't know the answer to this. Only they can know. They're the experts on themselves and their family. And so, and also as a friend, you'll know what kind of friend you are. If you're very best friend, just show up and say it. If you're slightly distant, I would text it. But also friendships are lost and made over grief because some people... <laughs> really can't show up for whatever reason. And that can be extremely painful for, for the bereaved family. But other people do have that capacity. So if you are that person, that family will love you forever because you're really showing a kind of an emotional courage that many people run away from. I think that's really important to hear, actually, if you're listening to this with those situations in your life. And if you can show up, it is very, very powerful for the people who receive it. What we know from all of the research, for, from everybody that is grieving, whatever the circumstances of the grief or whatever the relationship, it is the love and connection of others that enables us to survive when someone we love has died. So whether you're grieving or whether you're supporting someone who's grieving, it is your capacity to give and receive love that is the best medicine. That is the thing that will help you all the most. So be generous with it and it's free. Great advice. As you can imagine, there are quite a lot of, of questions that pertain to this area. We do have coming up things that are slightly more relationship related to do with, you know, difficult, tricky situations and they're coming up. But I think we should deal with all of this in, in one chunk, if you like. And the next question is about managing grief before the person has actually passed on. So uh, the question is, we all know this will be my mum's last Christmas. Any ideas on how to make the most of that time? If somebody's got a terminal illness or they're in palliative care and you know this is the final time, would you mark it as such? You know, is it, is it important to do that? I really do think it is because I think... What we haven't said and what we haven't marked, what we haven't done, we can go back and regret after they've died and we wish we had. So, again, this person is sensitive, so I hope that they're talking to their mum and talking to their mum about her dying. So one of the questions to ask her mum is, what are you worried about? Because her mum could say, I'm worried that no one's going to do the Christmas turkey right. Or her mum could say, I'm worried this is my last Christmas and I'm frightened of dying. So you can have important conversations, but go at the depth of the person that's dying. But also, if you can talk with each other, even if your mum, because the, the older generation find it harder to have these very open conversations. I mean, they may not, but often they do, but the younger generations too. So I, even if you're not doing it with your mum, I would do it as a, as a team, as a family, kind of like this is our mum, our grandmum, our mother-in-law's last Christmas. What we do at this Christmas will be the memories that we go back and live off for the rest of our lives. So what is it that we can create, that we can live that becomes part of her life story that doesn't damage her death story. So do we want to be having moments where we play music together and we have that playlist? Do we want to have lots of photographs? Or 
I don't know, your family knows yourselves best. What are the things that are poignant and important for you? Catherine Mannix talks about this, who's a really great palliative care doctor. And what she talks about is that if you can find a way of saying, I love you, thank you, and I'm sorry, <laughs> um, before someone dies, that is really good for the person and for you. This is an interesting question because often it's busy. The house is, you know, full of noise. If you've got young children there, it's busy. And, and young children might not always be tapping into the same emotions. Obviously, they're excited about Father Christmas and what he's leaving behind for them. So how, this question says, do you privately honour those you've lost during a day full of noise and people? So I think you carve out time for yourself. So it might be before everybody gets up where you go for a walk in the dark even or where you create space for yourself. You just mark, So often when I'm working with families, I kind of, A, the rhythm of Christmas might be too much for them. So they might have to step in and step out, even of the Christmas meal, like go out for 10 minutes. But also I would create a ritual that represents and mark, rituals are kind of habits with soul that marks what's invisible. So think about for you, is there a ritual that you can create that isn't massively time consuming? So it could be that you put on your headphones and have a playlist that you've made in memory of the person that's died, that you walk to a place of worship or you go for a particular walk that feels soulful and connects them to you, that you have a photograph and a candle and flowers that you kind of sit with and look at. It's really about making the space to allow your experiences and your memories and your emotions to come through your system. Because busyness is an anaesthetic and it shuts down everything, mm. but then you kind of blow up. It's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so if you, <laughs> if you create the space, then you're less likely to blow up. And you might blow up anyway because we're human and we can do everything and you can still blow up. You're helping to potentially mitigate that, actually. And that makes perfect sense because that blowing up, I think a lot of people will recognise that this pressure builds through the day. And if you've had that release early on, there's less likelihood, I think, isn't there? Because you've, you've taken that time for yourself and you've maybe had a few tears and you've, yeah. you've you've kind of acknowledged it within your own heart and soul, haven't you? And then yeah. then you don't feel that nobody else is listening. Because like, I think what happens is you'll be like, well, why are you not imagining her now? Why are you not thinking about him yeah. now? And, you know, and everybody is so different. So that's really, I think that's really good advice. Because the, just the ad, I always add too much. But the other thing is that I think that we have this idea, and that's what religion is all about, basically, that the person who's died is watching us. And we may feel guilty that we're happy and that they're watching us thinking that we don't care about them. And so if we give ourselves permission to kind of spend time with them, we can give ourselves equal permission to put them at the back of the mind in the most loving place and allow ourselves to turn our attention to the other people in our life that we love. We have multiple loves. Some are dead and some are alive and they all deserve our love and our time and our attention so that we can consciously turn to be with the people who are alive so that we can have pleasure in that rather than this sort of um, limbo mm. where we're neither 
with the person that's died or with the mm. people who are present. And we kind of hate everybody, including ourselves. Yeah, because you don't want to um, then sully all of their experiences. I think about my own family with my little brother who was just six at the time my brother died. So his that Christmas he would have still been six, you know. And so, you know, that that was an important Christmas for him in, in different ways, you know, to, to yeah. obviously what was going with the rest of the family. The one thing I remember my mum doing was she'd always been a really big Christmas card sender. You know, she always liked to have a personalised one printed and she just said, I'm not sending Christmas cards anymore. I can't write a Christmas card without his name on. So she's never sent a Christmas card since. And I think that's, you know, that was her marking. marking it. Yeah. And I think whatever that is, it's up to you and you've got to feel really happy with what you do, haven't you? And that was hers. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Shall we move on from from grief yes. for a moment? Um, Shall we? Yes, let's. Let's. Um, because there's all there's all sorts of other problems <laughs> to deal with. Um, yeah. um, this is an interesting one. I mean, it throws up, doesn't it? Christmas, all kinds of things that niggle through the whole year. Little little issues come to the surface. How to deal with parents who treat their adult children differently? Meaning, our grandchildren are treated differently. So obviously, this family or this person is perceiving this to be going on. Favoritism. So how how do you deal with that? I mean, my first thought, and it is so difficult and painful, is that it does need to be addressed, but probably not at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a big systemic family issue that you need to kind of sit down with your parents and be specific. Like, I noticed that when you are with so-and-so, you do this. And when you are with me, you do this. This feels to me like you are loving them more or giving them more attention or mm. giving them more money or there are so many ways that that favouritism mm. can manifest. But honestly, I, need, I think you need to plan to do that in 2024 because Christmas is so like a landmine of bombs and no one is in the right frame of mind. They've had too many drinks. You've got your Uncle George who's being pro all sorts of politics you don't approve of or <laughs> your sister who's drunk and your child who's kicking off and you hate the bloody turkey. I'm talking about myself. I've burnt my turkey. I really hated it. They're like, there's a picture of me with a black turkey. <laughs> so you're not in the right mindset to sit down and be both assertive and honest and have a difficult conversation, which can be a constructive conversation that can change the family dynamic. Because your parents might well not recognise what they're doing, but telling them at Christmas... No, 
Not no. a good, not a good idea. That's great advice. And if you ask that question, you're waiting for your answer. I think even knowing that is good because you can get through this Christmas thinking in January at some point I'm going to have this conversation when in the cold light of day. And another question was about how to deal with parents who favour siblings. And I think that's probably the same, same advice. Thing. Yeah. How to keep a relationship with my nieces when my sister won't speak to me. So if there's been fallings out through the year or over yeah. the years, but you're wanting to not sever ties with the with the offspring, how do you how do you do that? It's so painful, mm. isn't it? Those relationships when they when they're um, cut. So I guess there's two phases of life. If the children are young, you don't have any connection with them because she is the portal, your sister. So you have to kind of let that go, unless unless her partner, your brother-in-law, mm. gives you access to the children, so you could see them then. Mm. But that will also wind her up, by the way, mm. because mm. she'll feel you're kind of doing behind it behind her back. Her back. Yeah. But once the children are older, they have free will and you can build a relationship with them. I mean, obviously, the first best step is to try and rebuild the relationship with your sister. But maybe that isn't possible. But you can certainly, when the children are adults, you can text them and spend time with them and see them. And what you can't do with the nieces is try and get them to choose between their mum and you because they'll always choose their mum. Mm. I suppose if you overtly ask your sister as well, look, I understand you're not speaking to me. Is there a reason why, you know, I shouldn't be speaking to my nieces? At least you've asked that question as well. That's a really, I hadn't thought of that. That's a great thought. Yeah. This is, this is a funny one, I think. Um, how yeah. to manage your husband, I like that expression, how to manage your husband when he isn't keen on your parents. <laughs> That's so true. Gritty teeth. Yeah. Well, it's the, he's not keen. He's not keen. I, yeah. <laughs> so, so the in-laws are coming, and he's visibly not that pleased. Obviously, um, Mr. Husband in this scenario. So, I mean, that's that's tricky for the for the the person who's asking this question. I mean, every in-law joke has truth, doesn't it? And I think as a backdrop to in-laws. I think what's particularly difficult about Christmas is that each family has their own particular traditions and rituals. And also a lot of people want to have the control so that, you know, I do the bread sauce this way or we have present opening at four yeah. or ten or, you know, there's always the battle over who does what when. And so what is helpful is beforehand to think with your hubby, we need to collaborate. My parents are coming they like these traditions, we like those traditions. What can we do that kind of gets us both on side, that is a negotiation that's kind of good enough? And I think the other thing is to talk to your husband. I mean, what's interesting, manage my hubby makes mm -hmm. you think that they don't have difficult conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would encourage is if he can acknowledge that he doesn't like them, they're irritating, lots of things he doesn't like he can acknowledge and allow, but also allow and open himself and his mindset to, these are my wife's parents. My wife knows they're incredibly irritating and all the rest of it, but she loves them, they're her parents. So I can hold both, that they annoy me, and I have to kind of be mindful enough to be kind enough and loving to my wife so that I appreciate them and don't come in and ruin her Christmas and try and it's almost like 
I think when when it's the in-laws, it's like you want to turn your own partner away from their parents. And that is actual cruelty. And so, I mean, what I what I think is that we have incredible capacity to ninja our mind to where we put our attention and our intention and a, a picture of what we want is often what we get. So I feel like swearing and saying, you yeah. know, just <laughs> be a bit kind and stop being such a pain in the ass. Open yourself to who they are. Yeah. Suck it yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one day, maybe a couple if they're staying over. Exactly. Just suck it up, and and you might actually find there's things about them that you like when you let the the other stuff go, or um, there's something that they want to talk to you or tell you that you know you can just indulge them a little bit. I think is, yeah. is probably the, uh, hopefully she'll somehow manage to have that conversation. And maybe like you said before, there's another conversation to have in January. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that she could talk to her parents about what they could do less of that would annoy him less. Yeah. <laughs> or let's call him Brian. Yeah. Dad. Brian's had quite a stressful December and, uh, you know, sometimes he might seem a little bit highly strung, but, you know, just yeah. just bear with him. Go Jenny. Yeah. Go Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have the best Christmas ever, Julia. Um, oh, this is really sad. Navigating Christmas with two daughters who really don't like each other. And then she says, I just want to leave. Oh, that's awful. I feel That like, is awful. Yeah. And I do get that. And I also kind of recognise both that children will be who they are. And also they learn how to behave by what's modelled by their parents. So has she modelled that? You can fight as sisters and repair and make up so that you, you don't just fight and then have another fight and another fight, but that you have a model that you fight. And can you collaborate as a family, maybe just over Christmas that can then be followed through is let's you can look back at last Christmas that was ruined by their fights. So let's think about last Christmas that was ruined. What could we do this Christmas? that could mean that we actually have a more peaceful and and jolly Christmas that has a bit of joy mm. and laughter and and fun, mm. you know. Mm. <laughs> so what are the things, what are the kind of family rules that we can have? What are the subjects not to talk about or the types of fights not to have? And also, can we have a bit positivity with each other? So, you know, that you can enjoy things about your sister and acknowledge that and she can enjoy things about you so that you kind of redress it a bit more because if she wants to escape the thinking I have is that she has a mindset it's all their fault it's nothing to do with me Mm. and that may not be true Mm. but she is the parent and she probably has a lot more power and influence than she recognizes and she needs to be assertive and say this is not okay no behaving like this is not okay yeah find her power and try Mm. and wield it before Christmas to get them on track and also, I think, you know, even the emotional, I wouldn't call it emotional blackmail, but, you know, just I'm not going to enjoy myself when you two are fighting. And, you know, I think as long as they've got good relationships with her, you know, you don't want that. You don't want me having a miserable time. So I'm sure you can find a better way of expressing it than I just have. But it's, but it does feel a bit like that. I've always cared for you. I've always looked after you both. And I've always wanted the best for you both. So maybe you could just have a little bit of a, you know, a rethink and a bit of effort into helping me have a nice Christmas. And a truce. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> like the 1418 war you know, with the Germans and the English. Yeah. Go and play a bit of football. Well, we've assumed that's a mum talking about her daughters, but of course it could be a dad. 
Um, I'm recovering from anorexia, this next question says, and I struggle seeing family members who haven't seen me in a while at Christmas. How do I deal with the comments I get on my body from older family members? I mean, already you can feel it's built, the tension and stress is kind of building inside for this person, uh, anticipating those comments. And the sort of Jaws music. And of course, Christmas is all about food and sitting around a table together. It's all about too much, isn't it? Everything's just too much. (laughs) Too much. Too much drink, too much food. And if you have an eating disorder, that just the act of people watching you eat for some people is really hard. So there are a couple of things that that come to mind when you ask that question. One is, can you get your parent to talk to the elder people in the family to say that it would be really great if you didn't comment on her size or how she looks because she finds that difficult. I've assumed it's a girl with anorexia, but of course there are many more boys that have anorexia, so it might be a boy. But also if she could get a kind of ally so that when someone does it, she can take a breath, step back and then look at across the table and go, and almost like play cricket, like how many times? <laughs> yeah, it back. How many times they're gonna, are they going to say it? So think of it from a kind of complete, rather than like I'm waiting for it to happen, then if it happens, I'm going to blow up and it's going to injure me. It's like take a breath, kind of be mindful and go, oh, there he goes again. You know, that's one. Two, and then have your mate across the table like, I've got three now. Yeah, yeah. So that you treat it with less threat. You treat it less like they're intentionally hurting me, which people on the whole are not doing. No, they probably also don't know what to say and feel they have to say something, you know. And so, as you, as you say, I don't think it's always malice or a pre-thought kind of you know it's ignorance yeah 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 it's ignorance and and but also to say that there's a really good charity called beat that has a website with lots of uh support and information and so i the other thing i would sort of for her would like have a self-care toolkit that she can turn to whether it's a breathing exercise whether she's creative and you know i think coloring in like distracting yourself from what's going on can be very kind of soothing, doing puzzles, knitting, doing things that take you out of the fray and get you back in connecting to yourself, doing something that feels calming because where you kind of put your attention stops you kind of constantly looking Mm. for threat. There's another general thing, which I think nobody's kind of asked in a question, but I think it's that a lot of people put this huge weight on themselves to deliver the perfect Christmas. And, you know, everything's got to be amazing from the meal to, you know, how the house is decorated to every present being the perfect present. And and that in itself is, you know, such a huge pressure that you're probably not going to be able to live up to. Right? You've set your bar so high. And I think that is probably the cause of a lot of people's kind of the lack of enjoyment they get themselves out of Christmas. So how do you how do you mitigate that and try and cut some slack for yourself? I mean, I think you, you've said it really, Gabby, in that if we set unrealistic expectations and have this kind of idea of a perfect Christmas, we've lost before we've won. Like no one has a perfect Christmas. So lean into the givens, you know, that something is going to go wrong You all have a dodgy member of the family that's going to drink too much or be annoying. The turkey is going to be dry. If you come come for Christmas meat, whatever you bloody do, whatever recipe you follow, it isn't going to be the perfect turkey. But on a serious note, 
also think of all of us human beings is that what we show on top is the third and that below the waterline is two thirds is what we're feeling, what our experiences are. And that comparing ourselves or our Christmas to Instagram Christmas or, you know, the perfect Christmas that we imagine everybody else has is a direct route to misery. So kind of be as kind to yourself as you would be to others. Think about other Christmases, what happens and kind of, again, put your mindset to imagine yourself knowing that that's going to happen. What would be a version of you that allows you to step back, to take a breath, maybe even have a laugh and kind of let go? Um, and it's a really hard thing to do. But I mean, I think you've said it really. The, the biggest is to be realistic and not have too many expectations. And when things do go wrong, as you say, I think it's always finding the funny side of things will always be the best route. I mean, I one Christmas, I've got an Arga and it has a little electrical half to it. And I decided that I'd be better off roasting, uh, well, putting the turkey in that part because I could control the temperature better than I can in the, the main oven. What I didn't know, because I never used that part, is that half of the um, oven was broken. So the back end of the turkey was getting no heat <laughs> whatsoever. So every time I checked the turkey, the front end looked great. And I said, Great. It's looking brilliant. So when I go to take it out an hour and a half or so before we're due to eat, it's literally white. It hasn't been cooked yet <laughs> at all. And it's about, it's a turkey for about 14 people. It's ginormous. I had to kind of kick it into the oven in the first place. Yeah. At that point, I had to give a no that we weren't going to be having turkey for Christmas. And I luckily had a big thing of beef. So, and my family loved the beef. So I thought, right, they'll, they'll be happy with that. But my mother-in-law, who's very traditional, and she probably would have been in her late 80s then, she's 92 now, she wasn't happy. <laughs> she wasn't happy that she was sniffy. Yeah, there was no turkey, and that for her was kind of ruining the meal. That uh, you know, she's already gluten free, so she has to have lots of things that are different anyway. And now she's not got her turkey, so I just couldn't. I, there was nothing I could do, though. You know, I couldn't, and everybody else was was very happy with it. So they just all laughed and took the Mickey out of me. Well, actually, I think they ended up taking the Mickey out of Kenny because they decided that he should have noticed the oven was broken at some point because you know he, he fixed <laughs> his thing. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, that was my biggest turkey disaster, and and it's only when the turkey goes right that they tell you the truth that it's the first turkey they've ever enjoyed you know so a couple of years ago they said this is a, this is a great turkey we've never liked it before but this one's great so I think you say your turkeys are bad I think I've got a hit rate of about 10% of all my Christmas dinners where it's actually gone right so yeah it's not an easy one is it the, the meal it really isn't and I think the other thing is allowing difference so I think part of what misshapes us internally below the waterline is like your mother-in-law that is her thing. It's probably come from her mother. And if you kind of get into a state of wanting to, to make her find it funny or kind of be forgiving, then you'll just beat yourself up. So in some ways, letting her have her particular thing is much more forgiving and much more compassionate. And I think we need oodles of self-compassion over Christmas. Like, be kind to yourself as you would to others, and then you will have a much better time. Well, I'm sure um, that your advice will help a lot of Christmases around the country this year, Julia. Thank you so much, as always, for your time, which I know is very valuable, and for your brilliant advice. And uh, I hope you have a lovely day and a lovely festive period. And hopefully we can see you again sometime in the new year. That would be lovely, Gabby. And happy Christmas to all of your listeners. And I hope I see you in the new year too.
I always love chatting to Julia. So huge thanks to her for being so generous and answering all of your questions. I think one of the most important takeaways is what she said about love being the thing that helps us survive at the worst times and to be especially generous with it at this time of year. So as we head into the height of the festive season, I wish you a very happy and healthy Christmas, however it looks for you this year. This episode was produced by Spiritland Creative. I'll be back with my husband, Kenny, next week to talk Christmas tales and traditions and reflect on the year that's been and the year that is to come. I hope you can join me then. But in the meantime, stay safe and Merry Christmas. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.